Um, yeah, so we're doing um, this series on together, like looking at the together life of the church, how we are as family. Um, and so we thought it would be um, remiss to kind of do the whole series and just look at the lovely positive sides about being together um, without looking at some of the inherent risks that come when you put a bunch of very strange people in a room together and say, let's do life together. Um, and probably for all of us, um, we've seen the potential of the church to be enormously healthy uh, and enormously life-giving and enormously loving and serving. And I've seen that all the time um, in this church, by the way, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to avoid using any examples from, from our fellowship, because <laughs> um, you might know that I'm talking about Pete. But, uh, and we've all seen it, like, be really life-giving, like, when people just serve people in need, or when people have enormous patience, and um, when that person really winds you up, and you just let it go, and it's beautiful and peaceful. But we've also probably, all of us, if you've been in the church for longer than about four minutes, we've probably all seen what an unhealthy church can look like, what a toxic church um, can look like, um, both on a kind of local level. Some of you have probably come from uh, in backgrounds where the church was actually not healthy um, in, in one way or several. Um, but also we look at it, we can see it kind of on the news. We see all the time, like, oh, I've got a visitor. Hey, sweetheart. <laughs> I told her to do this. <laughs> it's like, if you could come and, if it's not going well, Martha, just come and rescue me. I was gonna <laughs> I've got to go. Hello, do you want to say hi? Yeah, we practiced the cute thing as well earlier. Um, where were we? Yeah, but also like in the news. Um, so like, I'm aware even this week there was a kind of fresh. Um, stuff in the news about um, clergy sex abuse. And it makes you think, gosh, how's the church gone so far off track? Or like churches in different countries, not to name them, that become incredibly political and politically sided with one very um, narrow-minded, right-wing... <laughs> um, and, and you're like, oh my gosh, is that really what we're called to be? Or have we kind of lost track? So today we're going to look a little bit at like what happens when, when God's people go a little bit wrong. Um, and in particular, what happens when God's people get divided? What happens when we um, aren't one together? We've just been singing that. We've just been praying about that. Um, so what happens when we're not one together? Are you okay? Yeah. Would you like, do you want to get down or do you want to stay here? Okay. Um, uh, now, from the beginning, God has always used people plural to, to do his, to get his, work done in the world, right? It's never just been individuals. So when God calls Abraham, he calls Abraham's family. When God calls even Adam, he says, actually, this isn't good at the moment. It's not good for man to be alone. Um, so he, he, he gives Adam this, this partner, this helper, this um, one to walk alongside him, um, which is Eve. It's always, <laughs> i just filming it. Will you please focus? <laughs> <laughs> So point one, church turns toxic when people don't listen to the sermon. Um, but what we see from the beginning is with even with Adam and Eve, it takes about three seconds, doesn't it, for the relationship to go off track a little bit. You can wait. I can't run around and preach at the same time. That's the book. Silly daddy. Um, uh, cool. I think they're going to crash. Sorry about that. Headspace 
two places. <laughs> We've also had a couple of really interesting nights sleep. <laughs> so my head is in like 0.7 places at the moment. Um, cool. Uh, it, it, every time God uses a people, it takes about four seconds for it to go wrong. So Adam and Eve um, quickly descends into blaming each other, into confrontation. The woman you put with me made me do it. Like um, blame. Uh, Abraham is called with his whole family, but Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has these two kids that um, actually they're just not parented very well at all. I could teach him some lessons. Um, And the kids grow up in rivalry and and they hate each other. And this is God's people. This is the people that God wanted to be a blessing for the nations. And they're at each other's throats on like day two. And then uh, Jacob, yeah, Jacob and Esau. Jacob then has 12 sons, doesn't he? And that goes much better. They get along like a house on fire, never have any conflict, never try and kill each other or sell each other into slavery or ditch each other. Um, you see, like at every point when God uses a people, it's like, <laughs> it's like and he, he gives them his kingdom and he gives them his power. And it's like the phrase that came to mind is, with great power comes great stupidity. It's like this is like that God's people seem to always try and prove that point. But then you come to Jesus and it's like, okay, now we've had the Messiah, like surely now we're going to get it right. Now we've got the Holy Spirit, surely now it's going to go much better and the church of Jesus Christ won't know any of these issues and stupidities and conflicts and divisions, surely. But then on day four-ish, things start to go to pot, don't they? And basically every church is now like this weird mixture of the life of the Spirit and the gospel at work and the reconciliation of God, but also this flip side, this dark side, where we're all still a little bit messed up, we're all still a little bit self-obsessed, and we all still like to divide over pointless issues. And that means that church can be this really kind of nuanced place of health and simultaneously of unhealth. So what we're doing today is we want to be a healthy church, right? We don't want to be a toxic church. We don't want to be a divided church. We want to be a healthy church. So we're going to look at one of the best, most beautifully exam- beautiful examples of a thoroughly dysfunctional church okay, in the New Testament. And we're going to learn some lessons from them. Are you ready? Welcome to the church at Corinth. I feel like we talked about the Corinthians quite a lot recently. The Corinthians were like the most single, most beautifully dysfunctional bunch of people in the New Testament. Now, the church was planted by Paul the Apostle, so you'd have thought they'd had a relatively good start there. Um, then, it, then they had like these other great teachers come and join, Apollos and Peter and all sorts going on. It was a church where the gifts of the Holy Spirit were moving in power and people were prophesying and speaking in tongues and praying and the worship was great. And yet, under the surface, it was just a really toxic community to be a part of. And we're going to learn from them um, a little bit this morning, okay? And we're going to think, how can we as at Forest Hill avoid some of these issues and look on one another with love, okay? Is that good? Great. Um, Cool. So, uh, part one. If you turn, if you wouldn't mind, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And we're going to read just a little bit. These stands are never big enough. They don't design stands for preachers or this kind of preacher, just got too much stuff. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, um, and we're going to read from verse 10. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. 
I appeal to you, brothers and sisters. Um, He means everyone when he says that, by the way. He doesn't just mean men. He means everyone. Uh, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. What's the implication with Paul bringing this up so early on in the letter? That they're not united in mind and thought at the moment, right? This is, Paul goes straight there. This is a crucial issue for Paul. Um, I appeal to the, there may be no divisions among you, that you, you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. No. In a church? Someone's fighting in a church? Who'd have thought? You guys don't find that as funny as me. That's okay. Um, What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Those are the goody two-shoes ones, right? Um, I've got the right answer. Jesus. Um, Now, what had happened basically in the church is this. Paul had planted the church, and, and then, like I said earlier, over time, these other teachers had come along. Now, look, they were just building on the work of Paul. Paul preached the gospel, started the church based on a very simple kind of, this is the gospel of Jesus. Um, and then over time, the church needs to grow in maturity. So different people come and they bring um, fresh teaching and more depth and more going on. Um, but then what happens over time is people became like, kind of clustered into these little personality cults, which is basically like, uh, uh, I'm kind of, that's my favorite preacher. That's my favorite worshiper. That's my favorite theologian. That's my favorite way of looking at things. And what that meant is that they were fundamentally um, divided at their core. They were kind of cliqued off into these different little factions. Now, one of, one of the churches that um, I've kind of had some interaction with recently had a huge problem a few years ago where they brought in a new leader. And everyone thought, hey, this is a young, new, great leader. He's passionate. He's wise. He's got great biblical knowledge. And then he comes into the church um, and what really quickly became apparent is that there were these different kind of factions in the church that basically totally stopped him actually being able to lead or do anything at all. Um, and it became obvious that people were kind of uh, actually kind of cliqued around sub-issues and like who was on what chair in the committee of blah 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 uh, um, and, and they kind of, everyone then saw this guy who was just trying to get on with it as a threat. So some people kind of bandied around him, some people bandied around someone else, some people bandied around someone else. The whole thing lasted about a year and a half, and then he had to leave. Isn't that awful? Um, And this guy comes in with lots of energy, lots of vision, lots of uh, charisma, much like me. Um, uh, But he's hamstrung uh, by these kind of like cliques in the church that mean that he's actually totally unable to do anything. Now, as I look around here, I don't think that we do this very much. I don't think we... I don't think. However... (laughs) Let's learn the lesson from the Corinthian church really well. Because actually, even if we don't do it really publicly, like there's not, I don't think there's the kind of, uh, you know, we are the bloody blah people in this church. Uh, I don't think that's happening, uh, though I made the point very clearly. I'm sure you'll agree. But what, this can sometimes happen just in a really subtle way with how we look at each other, Right? And if we look at each other and see the things that make us different from each other, we're already half the way here. Does that make sense? 
If, so if we kind of click off into like our whether kind of the uh, you know the young people or the trendy people or the the youth or the whether people who are right or whether people who are prophetic or whether people who are kind of the worshipy team or whether people who are whatever, then that's really really dangerous. Equally, if we only ever talk to people who are like us, that's really really dangerous. And church needs to be a place where we cross all those divisions. Does that make sense? So uh, I don't think we do that really, really massively, but I think maybe subtly there's a kind of danger. Just as soon as we look at people and think they are either like me or not like me. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Are we united? Oh, good. Thank goodness. Whew. Well, that would have gone wrong really, really fast. Um, in fact, Paul uh, does this with them in 1 Corinthians 26. He, he says, okay, how, how, can we, how can we sort this out? How can we uh, help you to realize that you are, in fact, one? And he kind of looks at everyone across all their little divisions and all their little kind of uh, thingies, uh, cliques or whatever you want to call them. Um, and he, he says this, brothers, uh, this is 126, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Do you see what he's doing there? He's saying, guys, I'm going to show you something really beautiful that you all have in common. Are you ready? You're all idiots. I think that's actually what he's saying. He's like, basically what the gospel does is it levels us right down to the lowest common denominator. I am in no way superior to anyone if the gospel is true. Because the gospel says, actually, God finds us at the point of our weakness. God finds us at the point of our shame. God finds us at the point of our brokenness. God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And Paul means Sam. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God means Sam. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. So that there may be no sense of us versus them, of superiority, of playing games, of church politics, of division. Um, so that no one may boast. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness and our redemption. Everything that we have is by grace. And that means that there is no difference. That means that any division that we choose to make, or that we make accidentally, or that we make over time just without really meaning to, any division is a false division in the gospel. Any church division is a false division in the gospel. Does that make sense? Nearly. Okay, you're not, you're not quite with me. That's okay. Now, An easy thing to conclude here would be, well, Sam, that means that we should never bring up any issues, right? No. The plot thickens. Um, We're just going to pick a few issues from 1 Corinthians because there are so many. Uh, But turn, if you will, to one of the more (laughs) um, interesting chapters in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 5. This is the very fascinating and slightly weird story of a man who sleeps with his father's wife. Now, this I'm not bringing up because I think this is happening in the church. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? 
Even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit, and I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan, so that the sinful nature may be destroyed, and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. Now, as you can see, there are a number of issues in this text. Firstly, that this happened in the first place. There's someone in the church who thought that sleeping with their mother-in-law was a really great idea. Um, so that's kind of weird. Secondly, what does it mean to hand someone over to Satan? That's weird, isn't it? What's the business of the church there? Um, and thirdly, passing judgment on someone. Well, aren't we told not to judge? But th- there's all those issues. I'm not going to address them. What I'm going to address is this. The Corinthian church had learned to pick fights about some things. Like They'd learned to divide on some things. But then it meant that other things that really needed to be addressed weren't brought up at all. And so some issues are brought up and made a huge deal of, like, this is my worship style preference, and that kind of becomes the big thing. But then huge issues aren't raised, they're just swept under the carpet. So this, everyone knew that this was happening, this guy it wasn't a secret, but no one had the kind of the, the guts to raise it and and deal with the issue. Does that make sense? And when churches sweep things under the carpet, that can be so, so dangerous. Um, I feel like not not a year goes by without a huge mega church, either like here or in the US or something, having a huge leadership crisis that basically comes out um, like this. Um, Someone comes forward and says something like, hey, this guy, and it's nearly nearly always a guy, (laughs) this guy has been abusing his position of power in the church. Last year it happened with one of the hugest churches um, in the States. And what happened is these kind of women started coming forward and started saying, hey, like this happened and I feel like he was abusing his position of power to kind of get me in a certain situation. Does that make sense? And then other women would start coming forward and saying, hey, that's that actually happened to me as well. Like, uh, and it, beca- it kind of turned out there's this huge thing that nearly everyone seemed to actually know about. Like loads of people seemed to know that this had been going on, but no one had raised it. And the culture of the church was to kind of sweep things under, which means that issues don't get raised, which means that things don't get dealt with, which means that things fester for ages. If, if you click on, uh, click on, oh gosh. <laughs> I'm such a child of my time. <laughs> if you turn the page, <laughs> just swipe forward. Um, <laughs> um, he, he put, the analogy Paul uses about what's happening is this. You're, um, in 5 verse 6, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Do you see what he's saying about the issue? These things that seem small that we try and sweep under the carpet actually affect the whole body. And they become huge issues. You can't ignore this stuff. You have to address it. And so that raises the question, okay, what are the sorts of things that we as a church are in danger of kind of sweeping under the carpet? Or are we ever in danger of creating a culture where people can't feed back when something um, is not unhealthy? It's is unhealthy, um, and we have to be so, so careful um, not to do that. Um, yeah, swipe forward again uh, to chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 
Now what's going on here is churches become unhealthy because people are having an argument and it's the person who is right in the argument that is being unhealthy. Does that make sense? Paul is saying um, in, in chapter 8, you can be right and still be the problem. Now, sometimes I think if everyone just understood things like me, there would be no church problems. Um, because I am right about nearly everything. Like, I, there's a couple of things I'm not totally sure of, but um, I'm pretty much right on everything. But the problem is, is that um, most people in the church think that. And most of you aren't right, but you still think you are. And so, you know, it's our job to, like, try and sort each other out. Now, that's basically what's happening um, in 1 Corinthians 8. People are trying to fix each other. Um, So, uh, Paul talks about food sacrificed to idols. And what he says is this. The church is divided based on people who do eat food sacrificed to idols and people who refuse to. Now, listen, if you were trying to get meat in this time in a city like Corinth, the likelihood is is that it was uh, raised and reared and then killed by people who weren't believers or people who weren't Jews. And what that probably meant is that they were, the animal was then sacrificed to this kind of idol um, as it was killed. And then you, you go and you buy the meat from the butcher and you eat it. But this raised a problem of conscience in the church, obviously. Um, are we then, if I buy this meat, am I participating in that worship, which is evil? And am I kind of giving glory to this idol? And so the church basically kind of split down the middle based on people who were like, do you know what? An idol's not real anyway. It doesn't make a difference. We worship God. The animal is just an animal and it's not affected by this so we can just eat it and the people who felt like no this is clearly wrong and a check on my conscience now that what's really interesting about this issue is paul writes to the church and he makes it quite clear i think that he agrees with the first lot of people theologically so he says actually an idol isn't anything a food sacrifice to idol if it's fine with your conscience there is no problem at all with eating it. I think that's basically what he says. But then he says this, but to all you guys who go to a meal and you're like, hey, look at this meat that I bought. Look at my freedom in Christ as I eat it. And you're doing that in front of someone who actually doesn't have that theology. You're destroying them and you become the problem. Now, that's a, there's a real danger for someone like me who is genuinely right most of the time, that I can be right and still be the problem. I can be correct and be the biggest douchebag in a church. Does anyone know anyone like that? You? <laughs> and it was just like, you. <laughs> and so that's a real, real danger. Basically, whenever I make myself the center... Um, and I don't take into account other people. Now, that's, that's huge, isn't it? That means that we need to consider each other's different positions on things and say, hey, I don't see it your way, but I'm going to act in a way that loves and honors you anyway. Is that cool? That's so cool, isn't it? And that takes a huge amount of maturity because so often we just want to fix, um, fix each other. Now, uh, I'm being a bit scatty, but that's fine. Uh, You don't mind. Yeah, so so far we've looked at uh, church being divided, but then also division when it's kind of concealed and swept under the carpet, but also division when it's disguised as just being right. Um, But there's this other problem as well in the church, where the us and them, where the division thing um, can become us versus everyone else. Has anyone ever seen that in a church? Um, Where it's like the church is like, right, we are correct, but everyone out there past these four walls... 
They're either going to the wrong church or they're going to no church, and they are all stupid. Um, and they, uh, I'm overstating the point. Um, but this can happen. If you turn back to uh, Mark chapter 9, um, there's a really beautiful example of this. Um, Mark chapter 9 and verse 38. And what's happening is Jesus is discipling his guys and he's kind of leading them and they're learning a lot and they're learning how to cast out demons in the name of Jesus and it's really cool. Um, And then a a couple of them come up to Jesus one day and they're like, teacher, said John. Uh, This is Mark 9, 38. We saw a man driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Now, you can imagine them coming up to Jesus looking really proud, like, like little puppies, because they've just done something really awesome. Um, and, and they kind of bounce up to Jesus. Jesus, we saw this guy casting out demons in your name. Don't worry. Don't worry. We stopped it happening. <laughs> and Jesus is like, yeah. I, I was gonna, uh, my PowerPoint slide was just going to be Jesus facepalm. Um, <laughs> but then I ran out of time to even do that. So I'm sorry about that. Um, but you, imagine Jesus face palming in this moment. That can be your, your illustration uh, for right now. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Whoever's, whoever is not against us is for us. Do you hear the breadth in that? Whoever's not against us is for us. Jesus is inviting us not to see other churches, not to see even people who come from different perspectives, even people who come from different points of view, not as, as against us, but as for us. We're all one. Every believer, all one. Um, in fact, I was listening to some talks this week. Um, from many of you will know Amanda Jackson, and she uh, works with an organization called the Micah Challenge. Is it Micah Challenge? Micah Global? Mike or something. Um, and they had a kind of annual conference. And a, a, a guy that I'd met once from Burkina Faso uh, called Barema was speaking there. And he was talking about his work um, with the Muslims. And he was like, actually, a lot of Christians even do the division thing um, in our minds with everyone else on the planet. And people look at Muslims and they think fundamentally we're different and so I can't evangelize to you. So I can't reach out to you. So I can't engage with you. And he was like, he, he said this really interesting thing. And I, I, I took it so, so uh, meaningfully because he's a very conservative guy, like uh, theologically, very conservative. Um, but he said this, until I learn to see um, every Muslim as my brother, I cannot evangelize to them with the gospel. Isn't that massive? Until I learn to see them as the say, have the same image of God, they have the same core, they have the same beauty, I cannot outreach to them um, until I see them as one. This issue of division um, is just so huge. Now, I've done it in a very, very scatty way. I'm aware my thoughts are a bit all over the place this morning. Uh, like I said, my excuse is I am ruthlessly tired. Uh, but you get the point, don't you? And, and we, should, um, we should spend some time praying for our church. Um, this is where Paul gets to in 1 Corinthians. Um, he suddenly does the marriage reading all of a sudden out of the blue. Um, thanks. <laughs> It's good to have Paul here. Um, Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is read 
nearly every wedding, isn't it? Um, and it's nearly always it read so much at weddings that we tend to think of it as it's about marriage relationships. But this is really about the church. This is about church not being divided, but acting in love um, towards itself. Um, so Paul has talked about all these issues raised. And then he says this, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What he's saying is I am completely useless. Like, that's why I'm totally useless if I don't have love. If I, if I have the gift of prophecy, so I, I might be a great, really gifted prophet, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. I might have the faith that can move mountains. I might have done 17 miracles this morning. If I don't love the person next to me, the person sitting next to me right now, I am beyond useless. That's me paraphrasing. I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. That is, love doesn't sweep things under the carpet, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Wouldn't that be beautiful if we could honestly say just all of those things all the time about Forest Hill? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like I, I, like I say, I don't think we're... A, a million miles away. Like I think I look at this church and I see so much beauty and so much love and so much kindness. Um, but love is always patient and always kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It'd be so great to be able to say this all. Forest Hill is patient. Forest Hill is kind. Forest Hill doesn't, like, there's no envy happening in here. There's no boasting happening in this room. There's no pride happening in this room. There's no rudeness happening in this room. <laughs> Um, there's no self-seekingness happening in this room. There's no anger happening in this room. Has anyone ever been angry at someone else in this room? Mm. Hallelujah, more Lord. Um, uh, love does not uh, keeps no record of wrongs. I really struggle with this because I'm a kind of passive-aggressive personality. So I will never fight you to your face. But I will always remember if you... <laughs> If I feel like you've crossed me. I'm one of those people, I go home and, and, and I run through conversations in my head with me as the good guy. Does anyone else ever do that? Anyone else ever do that with people in this room? A little? Just a little. Love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, if I'm living in love, that mechanism doesn't happen anymore. Or I choose to opt out of it. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Always protects. Wouldn't that be amazing to know? Well, I think this is kind of true. It always protects. I think we have kind of got each other's back in here, haven't we? Is that fair? We got each other's back? Always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love never fails. So what we'd like, what we're going to do now is we're just going to use some time to cluster into little groups. And this is going to be your second awkward activity of the morning. Um, that you don't, <laughs> sorry. I saw some of you not holding hands. (laughs) 
Um, but let's pray for our church because we really want to be a church that's healthy. We really want to be a church that's graceful. Now, here's how not to pray for the church. Don't pray like this. Lord, I pray that you would show that person how they're being divisive and arrogant and selfish and how they keep record of wrongs. That's not what we're going to do. Because the problem, as always, is right here, isn't it? The problem, as always, is right here. It's always the church's desire to think, hey, when that person gets it sorted, then we'll be one. When that person stops being such an idiot, then some of our problems will go away. No, 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 no. Always here first. So we're going to pray that we can be people of peace and people of love, that we can support each other, that we can love each other, that we can move beyond divides of... um, ethnicity or age or uh, politics or whatever else or career or whatever kind of things might petty petty little things might divide us from the fact that we are one in the gospel of jesus so uh, let's just pray together so cluster off into like fours or fives preferably with people who look and think exactly like you um and we're going to spend a few minutes in prayer and then stevie's going to come and lead us in a bit more um singing is that good oh yvonne sorry um, all the while, while Sam's been preaching and during the worship time this morning, um, I've just had the word redeemer on my mind. And then Naomi read from Job. And at one point in Job, he says, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And I think that the, the fact that Jesus is our redeemer is, and when we properly get hold of that, that is what stops us being toxic. And Jesus only makes us responsible for our own attitude, not doesn't make us responsible for the other person's attitude. So I just feel that as we pray together, we need to be receiving again. Jesus is our redeemer and he's here now. By his Holy Spirit, he's here now. And we don't want to have to, when he comes back, which he will, we don't want to have to justify our bad attitudes to things. We want to know that our Redeemer lives now. And that when he stands upon the earth, we're not going to have to justify why we had a bad attitude to something. And we can only be responsible for what we make toxic, not for what someone else makes toxic. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we pray together and that we would know your redemption in our hearts afresh and that you would help us to deal with any attitudes in ourselves and that you would help the, the as we do that, that you would make us more like you for your glory. Amen. Really sorry, but uh, some of you know that I I had quite a serious problem at work recently, and uh, one of my friends who has been praying to me sent me a word this morning, and it is the Lord has redeemed you from hands too strong for you. You shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. So I, uh, because this word has been mentioned several times, I suppose it's not only for me but for the whole church also. Yeah, awesome. Let's let that inform us as we pray. Um, So gather into little groups. Just pray for the church. 
Let's pray for us to be people of health and love and 